Psalm 16, 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol or hell. The Greek is Hades. It's the place of the dead, the grave. You will not leave my soul in hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Amen. David, looking ahead, said, You will not leave my soul in hell. You will not suffer your Holy One to see corruption. I'd like to preach for a little while this morning on the subject created for a comeback. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. Hallelujah. God bless you. Please be seated. I feel the Lord in a very special way. This past Wednesday night I taught on the theme of resilience which is akin to what I plan to preach today. This message is in the same vein of thought, so I'd like to review a little bit about the theme of resilience. Resilience is the power or ability to return to the original form or position after being bent, compressed, or stretched. Resilience is an elasticity, the ability to bounce back or to rebound. The origin of that word goes back all the way to the 1620s in the English. It comes from a Latin word that means to spring back or to rebound. And in life, resilience is the ability to bounce back from failure, adversity, or hardship. Resilience is the ability to get up again after you have fallen down or have been knocked down. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. You'll see the difference in what just people or godly people are made of and what ungodly people are made of. Inside of the fabric of a child of God is a resilience that no, many, no matter how many times we're not down in life that we have the ability, we have the resilience to rise up again. We were created for a comeback. But ungodly people are not like that. They do not have the resources to rebound. That's the difference in serving the Lord. Amen. Now some things splat on impact and others bounce back. So which one? Are you? An egg does not have the ability to rebound from a fall. In fact, Humpty Dumpty <laughs> sat on a wall. Yes, he did. I wish I could really preach this. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Together again. You'll find that somewhere outside your Bible. <laughs> In an old English nursery rhyme. Why do we tell stuff to our kids like that? 
Humpty Dumpty reminds us that if you have a great fall, being like an eggshell is not good at all. Amen. An eggshell is bumpy and grainy in texture and it's covered by as many as 17,000 pores. An eggshell is made almost entirely of uh, calcium carbonate crystals. An eggshell is a semi-permeable membrane, which means that air can pass and moisture can pass in and out of it. But the shell has this thin outermost coating called the bloom or cuticle that keeps bacteria and dust out. Eggs serve their purpose well, but they don't do very well in drop tests. Humpty Dumpty is depicted in illustrations as a giant egg. And Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. But why do eggs break when they're dropped against a hard floor? When an egg falls toward the floor, it begins to travel faster and faster as gravity pulls it there. It slams to the floor. The egg is stopped almost immediately. The force of the floor against the shell of the egg is too great and the egg breaks. Humpty Dumpty shatters everywhere. But that's not the fault of the floor. It's the nature of the egg. It's those calcium carbonite crystals that are to blame. If you drop a tennis ball from the same height, you'll get a totally different result. One is resilient and comes bouncing back, and the other does not and shatters on the floor everywhere. So today, what are you made of? You'll never really know until you've made a great fall or experienced a hard knock in life. And what you do, your response tells whether you're part of that just group or the unrighteous people. Amen. Like Humpty Dumpty, when some people are dashed by the troubles and trials of life, all the king's horses and all the king's men cannot put them back together again. Friends, counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists, pastors, they all do their best. But ultimately, it is up to the person to allow healing and recovery to help them rebound and make a comeback. I thank God for external resources, for everyone who tries to intervene in your life, and help can make a difference. But ultimately, it is up to us to allow God to give us a resiliency. You were created for a comeback. You are not created to fall and shatter when you're affected by the troubles and trials of life. I'm here today to encourage you that the Lord can give you a resiliency of spirit. That you can bounce back from setbacks. That you do not have to shatter when life knocks you down. Amen. You were created for a comeback. If it was possible to do a spiritual DNA test on a child of God, you'd find a spiritual gene, if I could say it like that, of resiliency. God put it in us. Amen. It allows us to bounce back when pounced on by life. It's the devil's delight to get you bent out of shape, to get you stretched or compressed. To a place that you cannot recover. The devil wants to force you into a mold that changes your nature 
and your destiny. He desires you to be changed by her. Amen. And he wants to turn an overcoming child of God into a defeated slave of Satan. But you were created by God for a comeback. God has given us resiliency of spirit so we can rise up again when we have fallen or been knocked down. If you are born of God, the Bible said, you will overcome the world. Amen. The greatest comeback of all times was prophesied about in Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is a psalm of David, king of Israel. David is credited with writing 75 of the 150 psalms in your Bible. In 73 of them, he's actually named as the author. In two more of the New Testament, gives him credit, writing Psalm 2 and Psalm 95. Psalm 16 was written by David in approximately 1044 B.C. And in Psalm 16, David writes prophetically about someone other than himself. He is not talking about himself. The poetry of Psalm 16 is majestic and powerful. This psalm is a messianic psalm, speaking of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. David wrote this psalm looking ahead to the event that changed the world forever. Psalm 16.10 refers to the resurrection of the dead by Jesus Christ. You will not leave my soul in hell and Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. If you fast forward about 1,100 years to the day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem, in either 30 to 33 A.D. In Acts chapter 2 in your Bible. The apostle Peter who preached that inaugural sermon on the birthday of the church. He referred back to Psalm 16. The apostle Peter had been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. And the phenomenon or phenomena of speaking in other tongues. People gathered and they saw and heard Pentecost happening. It was experiential. It was powerful. And the people who were onlookers began to ask, what does this mean? And the apostle Peter said that these men are not drunk as you suppose. Some accused them of being drunken. For it is only 9 o'clock in the morning. But Peter in his sermon revealed refer to a prophecy given first by Joel 700 years before Pentecost. Peter said, this is that. This is not some arbitrary, isolated event. This is not just a one-time, isolated spiritual experience. But what you are seeing and what you are hearing is tied to a prophecy that was given 700 years ago And it was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my maidservants and on my uh, men servants, I will pour out of my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. In his sermon, this response 
to the question, what does this mean? Peter began to speak of the ministry of Jesus Christ, clearly identifying him as a Messiah. He tells them what Jesus was falsely accused of blasphemy. He was crucified, but this was God's plan from the beginning. Peter says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, and you know this. You know who Jesus was, him being delivered by the determined purpose and for knowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be hold, held by them. Peter is saying that you killed Jesus, but God raised him up. It was not possible for death to hold him in the grave. The grave could not hold him. Death could not keep him. He has a powerful name that is above every other name. And then the apostle Peter quoted from Psalm 16, our text today. Acts 2.25 For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be moved or shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. Now, how could Peter say that David's flesh rested in hope? I'm glad you asked. He told us in verse 27 and 8, For you will not leave my soul in Hades, hell, Sheol. The Hebrew is Sheol, the Greek is Hades. It's the place of the dead. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made me to know the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. It's quoted different from the Septuagint, the New Testament Greek, but it's the same words in the original as David wrote in Psalm 16. The Apostle Peter then explained that David is not writing this about himself. He tells us in verse 29, Men and brethren, let me speak to you freely of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, he wants to make it clear that David was not writing 1,100 years previously now about himself. But 1,100 years ago, David saw that the Messiah would be crucified. He would die. He would be buried, but he would not stay in the grave. 1,100 years before it happened, David saw by prophecy that it would happen. David said, we still have the tomb of David with us to this day. David was not writing about himself. David was writing about someone else. And then verse 30, therefore... Being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, to David, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, on the throne of David. He's promised a house, a kingdom, and a throne. He, foreseeing this, spake concerning the resurrection of the Christ. 
that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Peter said, David saw the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The son that would come from his loins or from his lineage. So 1,100 years before it happened, God said it would happen. That God would not leave the Messiah's soul in hell. That death could not hold him. That the grave could not keep him. Amen. That Jesus Christ would not see corruption. That his body would not return to the dust. Amen. This did not mean that Jesus would not suffer and die. We need to visit this, this scene of the death, burial, and resurrection. On crucifixion Friday, things looked bleak for Jesus. He died and was buried before sundown. On Saturday, they observed the Sabbath and no one went to the tomb. Early Sunday morning, devoted disciples who were women made their way to the tomb. They wanted to give spices and put them on the body of Jesus to honor the dead. But Luke 24, 1 tells us, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And as it happened, they were really perplexed about this, that two men stood by them in shiny garments. And then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Jesus said to them that I was created for a comeback. David saw it 1,100 years before that the Messiah would die and be buried, but he would rise again. Amen. So I want you to understand that long before Rome ruled the world and long before Jesus was born in Bethlehem and long before Jesus began his ministry at age 30 and long before he was rejected and despised, long before Pilate and Caiaphas came into power, long before Jesus was unjustly condemned to die, long before the first nail was driven into his hands and feet, long before he was buried in a tomb, the Lord said, I will not leave his soul in in hell and his flesh will not see corruption he was created for a comeback hallelujah Jesus said destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up Jesus said as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and night, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. So yes, I say it again, that 1,100 years before Jesus rose from the dead, David saw it, David said it, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. We ought to thank the Lord by the power of the resurrection of Jesus. But it even goes back farther. Before the first sin was committed in the Garden of Eden, the Lord had a plan. 
Revelation tells us in 13 and 8, and all that dwell on the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before the first sin was committed, God had a plan to redeem us from sin. He designed us. He designed a plan that we would be created for a comeback. And the comeback that Jesus experienced as his, at his resurrection was not just for him. It was also for you. When you died to your sins and repentance. When you were buried with him by baptism into his death. When you were filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. A language you never learned. You became part of the victory that Jesus won over death. Jesus said in Revelation 1.18, I am he that liveth and was dead. The only thing that Jesus ever was, was dead. Otherwise, he is a great I am. And behold, I am alive forevermore amen and have the keys of hell and of death death and hell could not defeat jesus christ satan could not defeat jesus christ and if you cannot be defeated by the devil or death you cannot be defeated at all My purpose here today is to tell you that if Jesus defeated death and hell for you, that death and hell cannot defeat you. You were created by, for a comeback. You were created to rise up from what would be ruined for anyone else. You were created to rebound, to get up again. Long before you were born again, long before the darkness of depression descended over your spirit, long before you felt that you could not make it through the trial, long before you started the journey through the valley of the shadow of death, long before you suffered a spiritual setback, God in advance had planned for your comeback God saw you repenting if you sinned God saw you recovering from your wound God saw you being renewed by the power of the spirit God saw you resurrecting from the tomb of temporary defeat the Lord will not leave your soul in hell the Lord will not leave you down in depression. Let's praise him right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. There 
is forgiveness of sin. And the Lord upholds those who fall. And he raises up those who are bowed down. Amen. He is the Lord who lifts up our head. He is the Lord that has given us the power to overcome the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome him. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that overcomes the world even your faith amen weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning oh let's praise him right now if you know what it is to know that weeping may endure for a night if you know what it is to say rejoice not against me oh my enemy when i fall i shall arise when i sit in darkness the lord shall be a light unto me would you praise him right now Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Bible said it is appointed unto men once to die. But the apostle Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. Concerning them which are asleep that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died, and rose from again. Even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. That we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord. Shall not prevent those which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, remain faithful, remain resilient, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he said, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's what I'm doing today. I want to assure you that nothing that happens to you can lead to your eternal demise that God created you for a comeback that his soul did not remain in the grave he will not leave your soul in hell he will not leave your soul in depression he will not leave you in defeat you were created for a comeback <laughs> 